I want to spend a moment looking at Luke chapter 23. And this is Luke's account of Good Friday. If you have your Bibles, I know it might be a little bit hard to read. Try and follow along. If not, as always, look at the screen. Luke 23, starting at verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Some of us grew up in churches where we were told or we were taught that these men that were crucified with Christ were thieves. You didn't get executed or crucified for stealing. You got executed and crucified for murder, for treason. These are bad men who have committed heinous crimes. That is who is standing at the right and to the left of Jesus. Verse 34, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Verse 35. The people stood watching. The people of God sat on Good Friday watching. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly. for We are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus Then he said, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and the darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Luke's account of Good Friday is different from some of the other gospel accounts because he puts a lot of details After all, his background as a doctor has trained him to pay attention to details. And in his particular account in the book of Luke, Luke is intentionally giving us, you and me, a lot of information about Jesus. But he has a point. He has a question that he's asking you. And he has a question that he's asking me, particularly us tonight, as 
as he paints his portrait of what's going on. And he says in verse 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And essentially what Luke is saying is, God, they are looking right at, they are looking right at the most significant event. They are looking right at the most incredible act in all of human history, and yet they're missing it. Verse 35, people stood watching. People sat in Good Friday watching, observing. And Luke is asking you and me a deeper meaning, a deeper question, and that is as we gather here tonight, for many of us for whom this is our 15th, 17th, and 20th Good Friday service, he is asking you and me, are you merely going to sit and watch and observe? Or do you understand the significance of what God is doing? And is it hitting home? Is it resonating? Everything you need to know about who Jesus is, everything you need to know about what he is doing, and everything you need to know about how to have a life-transforming relationship with this Son of God is right there. And he is asking, are you merely going to sit and watch tonight? Or you encounter him and walk away changed forever? Some of us gathered tonight before the service and one guy prayed, God, this is so familiar to us. This event is so familiar to us that we can so easily miss it. And tonight in this text, I just want to highlight what I believe Luke is asking us about how to have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus. And we'll spend some time praying and give you space to encounter Jesus. How do you have a life-transforming relationship with Jesus in this act of the sacrifice of the Son of God. First, Luke is challenging you and me to recognize and replace our motivational center. How do you not merely watch and walk away so familiar? And how do you instead enter into tonight and walk away changed? Luke says, recognize and replace your motivational center. Tonight we're going to spend a moment looking at the two criminals being crucified next to Jesus. And the first criminal comes to Jesus like many people each year and like some of us tonight. Verse 39, he comes to Jesus and he says, are you the Christ? Are you the Savior? Are you Jesus? Then save us. What's he saying? He's saying, look, Jesus, I'd be happy to believe in you. I'd be happy to serve you. I'd be happy to worship you as God. I have a simple test, though. I have a simple way to test if you are God, if you are Christ, if you are who you say really are. Here it is. Get me out of here. Get me out of here. I'm being executed. I would love to not go through this. If you are God then save me from this. Every year all over the world, and there's some of you who walk here tonight, and you consider yourself a Christian, you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, 
And every year, every Sunday even, you look at the cross, you look at the cross, you hear the gospel, you hear the gospel, and you never walk away changed. Why? Because we come to God and we say like the first criminal, if you are God, I would be glad to serve you. I would be glad to worship you. I have a simple test. Get me out of here. Answer my prayers. Help me with this. Provide for my needs. If you're really God, then fill in the blank. But if you don't do as I say, either you're not there or you're not who you say you are. Will you recognize tonight that when you say, I'll serve you if, that whatever that is on the other side of the if is the real God of your life? When you say, I'll, happy, I'll be happy to believe in you, serve you, worship you, if you give me this, if you give me that, then that thing that is on the other side of the if is the real God of your life. And every single one of us, if we want our lives to be transformed, we begin at the place of saying, what is my motivational center? In every single one of us, there is that thing that is at the center, and there are those things that are at the periphery. There is that thing that is the ultimate end, and there are those things that are the means. There is that thing that is the non-negotiable in our lives, and there are those things in the rest of our lives that are negotiable. And if you want to have a life-transforming relationship and encounter with Christ tonight, you need to come to him and say what is my motivational center what really is on the other side of the if I may give lip service to the fact that I follow Jesus I may give lip service to the fact that I worship and sing to this God but unless you and I recognize whatever it is on the other side of the if and are willing to uproot that which is repentance we will never encounter the living God What we're really saying is, God, I'll be happy to serve you if you will let me serve this as Lord. I'll be happy to serve you, Lord, if you support how I want to live. And I just say tonight, do you realize how utterly silly it is to come to Jesus if he is who he says he is with these conditions? You realize how utterly silly it is to come to God and say tonight, I want a relationship with you as long as you do what I know needs to be done. Can you understand why Jesus would say to some of you tonight, you're frustrated that your life isn't working out the way it had nice, you have nicely planned it. And you're angry at God or thinking of just chucking the whole thing. And God would say to you tonight, how can you even know what your life is supposed to to look like if you have not encountered the author of that life how can you be angry and frustrated at the fact that you lack purpose in your life if you have not even encountered the creator God who has created you with a specific purpose in mind some of you are angry tonight and frustrated because your prayers aren't being answered 
My question to you is, are you coming to God tonight with questions or are you coming to God tonight barking out orders? When we come to God tonight and our attitude and heart is, I don't really want to know whether you who you say you are and what you desire from me. Essentially saying to God, I know what I want. I know what needs to be done. I know how to get there. I just need you to cooperate. And God says, you're going to have to look for another God. Because God's not about playing second fiddle to any other idol or God in our lives. Notice the second criminal doesn't do that. The second criminal doesn't say, if you will get me out of trouble, if you will get me out of here, then I'll believe in you. He says, I will be with you even if, even if you don't get me out of this. The second criminal points to how the gospel transforms us. He is recognizing that he needs to replace his ultimate motivational center with the new, replace his old non-negotiable with the new. It's what true repentance is. Jesus says to us tonight, you can't not enter the kingdom of God until you repent. And God is saying you're never going to make progress in your spiritual life or in the kingdom unless you recognize the real thing that lies on the other side of that if, the real thing you're serving, the real thing you're loving, the real thing you and I have placed our hope, our significance, our identity in, and are willing to say, God, I'm willing to repent of that. I'm willing to uproot that. Unless we begin to think, act, and talk like that, instead of laying out to God ultimatums, you're never going to know the real God, the real Jesus. As you look at the cross tonight, some of us, Some of us come to God tonight. Some of us approach tonight frustrated in our spiritual lives, frustrated that our lives isn't going where it needs to be. And we're literally walking here tonight, hanging by a thread and saying, God, if you don't show up, then I don't know what I'll do. And I want to challenge you, encourage you, exhort you, people of God, friends, church tonight, who or what is the real motivational center of your life? That's the question that the cross is asking us tonight. Who or what is the real motivational center of your life? As a pastor, I hear all the time in counseling sessions, Peter, I'm in this relationship and it's falling apart. And will you pray for me? Pray that this relationship will just work out. I don't know what I'll do if, without it. I don't, know, I don't know what I'll do without this relationship. Can you please pray that God will help me? And the cross of Christ reminds us tonight that our prayer is, Lord, if I can make you the center of my life, the real source of love and significance, it's the only way that I'll be able to handle not just this relationship, but any other relationship that comes into my life. I don't need you to give me strength to make this relationship work, God. I need you to give me strength to make you the center of my life so that I could handle whatever relationships may come my way. How many of us are saying tonight, we walked in here saying, Lord, I'll serve you if. Do you realize what your true motivational center is? Colossians 1, 7, 
nothing in Christ. All things hold together. Our lives, the Bible says, were made to center on him. Our lives were made to orbit around God. Our hearts were designed to know, to love, and to serve him. If we center on anything else, if we hope in anything else, if we find our significance, our ultimate meaning in anything else, the Bible says eventually our lives will fall apart. If your career, if that relationship, if your family, if anything else is more important to you than God. You be here tonight, attend services, worship, pray. But if you truly turn away from God and orbit around anything else, eventually the Bible says our lives will fall apart. What are you serving? The cross of Christ asks us tonight, who is your true God? What is your true center? Recognize the difference between the first criminal who comes and says, I'll serve you if. And the second criminal who comes to Jesus and says, I'll serve you even if. Regardless, I'll suffer anything if I can be with you. You guys have heard me say over and over in this church, Christianity will only work for you if you serve him, whether he works for you or not. Don't come to God with ultimatums. Tonight we come to God, not with barking out orders. God could handle your questions. God could handle my questions. But come to God tonight saying, God, I want to make you the non-negotiable, the center, the ultimate end. Secondly, Luke asks us as we encounter him tonight to believe and embrace the paradox. Believe and embrace the paradox. I love this part because I see the gospel in it. What the second criminal does is so counterintuitive, you guys. He says in verse 41, I deserve to die. He says to the first criminal, we deserve what we're getting. I'm a bad man. I've killed people. I've destroyed lives. I've done things to deserve death. He doesn't say like the first thief, first thief, I don't deserve to be punished. Get me out of here. He says, I deserve to be punished. But in verse 42, he says, so remember me in your kingdom. Are you following? It's logical to say, I'm a bad man. I've killed people. I've done awful things. So punish me. But the second criminal says, I've done some bad things. I've killed people. I deserve to be punished. So reward me. Do you know why I love that? Because that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Do you realize what Jesus says? Jesus doesn't say, you've killed people. You've been a bad man. You've been wicked. You've done all kinds of atrocities. So you deserve to be punished. What does Jesus say? He says, you've done evil. You've done bad. You've killed people. You've murdered people. So enter my kingdom. Why? Why can Jesus say that? Because of the darkness. Verse 44 The Bible says darkness came over the whole land. What does that mean? 
Every place in the Old Testament, all the gospel writers intentionally paint this portrait in the Old Testament that talks about the day that God is going to come and judge all evil and all sin, the day that the justice of God will come down and destroy all evil and sin, sometimes called the day of, a, day of vengeance, the day of the Lord, the day of darkness. Darkness in the Bible represented the justice and the wrath of God being poured out on evil and all sin. Here is the reason why when the second criminal says, I deserve to be punished, so reward me, Jesus doesn't say, make up your mind, but Jesus says, you get it, you get it. Why? Because this is the judgment day before the judgment day. This is on Jesus, the judgment day before the judgment day. But who is it that's being judged? Church, who is it that's being judged? Who is it that's being judged? Say it with me, who? Jesus. It's Jesus. The eternal justice of God is coming down on who? The criminals? On who? You and me? On who? Jesus. The wrath of God that eradicates and demolishes evil is coming down and eradicating and demolishing who? Jesus. Church, this is the good news of the gospel. Is this good news? This is great news. The gospel says you and I have got to get, we have got to get, get our judgment day come down on Jesus so that you and I would never have to go through the judgment ourselves. That's the only reason why Jesus can say to the criminal, you deserve to be punished. So come into my kingdom. You deserve to be cast out, but come in. Why? Because Jesus on the cross was cast out so you can be taken in. On the cross, Jesus unraveled so we can be put together. On the cross, Jesus was judged so that we would be declared righteous. On the cross, Jesus was abandoned so that we would be accepted. On the cross, Jesus was shamed so we could be embraced. On the cross, Jesus Christ paid the debt so we could be dead free on the cross. Jesus defeated sin and evil so that we could live victoriously. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the ironies of all ironies in scripture is that when all the people mock Jesus by saying he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Do you know what the gospel is? He saved others because he didn't save himself. He saved you and me because he didn't save himself. This is the place from which you and I get the motivation to replace our old centers with Jesus. Jesus. 
This is how you and I can uproot those worthless, dead, lifeless idols that we serve and worship and give our lives for and worship and serve in glory in Jesus. This is the foundation from which when we realize that Jesus Christ took our place on the bullseye of God's wrath and God's justice. He replaced us at the center of God's wrath and God's justice so that we ourselves would not bear upon us the wrath of God, but rather be recipients of the mercy and grace of God. It is when the knowledge of that hits us and our hearts are melted that you and I could walk in obedience and willingly lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel. It is when that truth hits us that nobody has to tell us obey and be good because that is the natural outflow of a life that is actually captured by the love for Christ and his sacrifice for us. If your heart has not been melted by the power of the gospel and the truth that Jesus Christ took your place and my place on the bullseye of God's wrath, tonight I encourage you, I exhort you, sit until the truth of that melts your heart. Because that is the only powerful engine that will ever motivate you and I to live the life that God has called us. A life that says, he demands my soul, my life, my all. Lastly, Luke says, I want to remind you of the withness, the withness of Christ. The second criminal says, Jesus, will you remember me? And Jesus says, incredibly, today you are with me. What does that mean? What does that mean that Jesus says today you are with me in paradise? Well, Paul in the New Testament unpacks what this withness with Christ really is all about. Paul talks about how when you and I place our faith in Christ at the moment, at the very moment that you believe, what is true of Christ becomes totally true of you. True of Christ becomes totally true of you. Examples, Romans 6, 5. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Paul is making the argument here that makes over and over again in the New Testament that when you place your faith in Christ, the moment, not later, not if you behave, but the moment that you place your faith in Christ, you and I become so identified with Christ that everything that is true of Jesus is true of us. That has huge ramifications. I'm almost done, y'all. First, Jesus says, when we're united with Christ, we are united with Christ in his death. When Christ died, taking the penalty for our sins, And the wages of sin is death. Bible says it is as if we died to the penalty of sin. How many of you think it's absolutely amazing news that because of our union with Christ, there is no more penalty to be paid for sin? 
And that is that when something bad happens to us, when we suffer, when we go through some things, and you start thinking, God must be punishing me for my sins, know the source of that. The source of that is not as God. The source of that is the pit of hell. Why? Because Jesus died taking the punishment for all of our sins, past, present, and future. There's a more punishment coming your way and my way. Why? Jesus Paid the price for our sins. The cross of Christ was not just his death. It was my death. It was your death. In the cross of Christ, everything that made me an enemy of God was poured out on him, absorbed completely by him, so that I am no longer under wrath, but under mercy and grace. And you and I are here tonight to celebrate our own funerals. Do you realize that's what we're here tonight? Is that good news? We are here to celebrate our own funerals. I have come, you have come to celebrate that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live in the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Tonight, we celebrate our own funerals. We were united with Christ in his death. We're also united with Christ in his resurrection. When Christ rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death once and for all, the Bible says we too rose, defeating the power of sin in our lives. That is, sin's domination, sin's influence in our lives has been defeated. Sin no longer is your master. Jesus Christ is your master. Sin no longer has authority over you. Jesus Christ has ultimate authority over you. You and I don't have to keep living the way we used to live because we are no longer the people we used to be. We have come here tonight to celebrate that the old Peter is dead and the new Peter has risen with Christ. And the new Peter is someone who could experience victory over that habit, victory over that addiction, victory over those besetting sins. Is that good news? But the best news of all, Carlton, you come on up, is that we were not only united with Christ in his death, in his resurrection, but also in his ascension. Ephesians 2, 5. It says, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Can you all just repeat that with me? Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, some of us might look at that and go, Paul, we know you're inspired, but I think you got your grammar wrong. You mean one day we will be raised up with Christ. One day we will be seated with Christ. Paul says, I don't think so. He says, no, no, no. The moment that you believe, the moment that you and I believe, that moment we become so identified with Christ that right now, 
Not in the future when you perform well enough. Right now, not when you behave better next week. Not, right now, not tomorrow when you get your act together. Right now, if you have been united with Christ by grace through faith, right now, everything Jesus has done will be true of you. And that means right now, when God the Father sees you, you, He sees you as he sees his son, Jesus. Holy, blameless, righteous, and beloved. That's why he could say in John 17, 16, Father, love them even as you love me. Even as you love me. God will love you is not the gospel. God loves you is the gospel. God loves some future version of you is not the gospel. God sees you right now as a child of God, beloved, holy, blameless, spotless, righteous is the gospel. You and I have been seated with, raised up with Christ. So when God the Father sees his son, he sees you. And when he sees you, he sees his son. Is that good news? Do you know how powerfully different our lives would be if you and I really believe that? If you and I really believe that tonight, because of this because of this, because of this amazing sacrificial act, that when God the Father, the perfect creator, sees you and me, even through every lie I've told, even through every lustful thought I've had, even through every act of injustice, even through every selfish, self-centered, arrogant act and thought I've done, even through all the things that the accuser would bring before God. Because of this, Jesus Christ today stands at the right hand of God and says, he's mine. I paid for that. He's my son. He's my, she's my daughter. Spotless, blameless, holy, righteous. He's our advocate. That means even as I stumble, even as I fall, even as I mess up, and even through my effort at obedience, God the Father today, at this moment, not tomorrow when I commit to doing better, not next week if I perform well, tonight, at this moment, God the Father sees me, and He delights in me. He delights in you. Not because of our works of righteousness, but because of Christ's perfect work of righteousness. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. We come back to Luke's question. You sit there tonight and you go, I understand that, Peter. I've heard you say a million times that in Christ, when God looks at us, he sees us as his son, Jesus. But Luke is forcing you and me to say, but do you get it? But do you really get it? Has it sunk deep down into your heart, into your soul, into the very fiber of your being? Do 
you get it. You say, yes, I do. And I want to beg the difference. You don't. You know why? Because if you really understand this, do you know how much courageous you will be? Do you know how much more bold you would be? Do you know how much more confident you will be? Do you know how much more humble you would be? Do you know how much more joyful you would be? Do you know how much more your heart would explode in gratitude? Do you know how much you would live your everyday life saying, love so amazing, love so divine. Take my all. Take my all. Take my all. If this sunk deep down into the depths of our souls and the grace of God exploded in your life and exploded in my life, you and I, you and I would not, would not be so shook up by that criticism. You and I would not be so devastated because that person didn't accept us. You and I would not be so distraught at the fact that we didn't get that job. We would walk through life with poise, with confidence, and with joy. Every single one of us in our problems is because we don't know this deep down inside. You say tonight, I get it. Do you really get it? Say tonight, Peter, my heart is hard, man. I've heard this message a million times. A million times, and it's doing absolutely nothing to me. I want to say to you tonight that the same God who enabled you to believe the gospel is the same God who enables you to believe deeper, grasp deeper. It's the same God who enables your faith to go deeper, your faith to go deeper. It's the same God. Go to the same God who sparked, who sparked this initial faith to fall in love with Jesus. Go to the same God and say, God, melt and change my heart. I want your gospel and the truth of your gospel to come alive in me. I want it to come alive in me. And some of you say, I get it. What do you want me to do? What's my response? I've said this verse a million times tonight. Love so amazing, so divine. What is our only appropriate response? I give my all, my soul, my everything. Our only appropriate response tonight is to say, everything that I have, everything that I am, Jesus is yours. Everything that I have, everything that I am is yours. some guys to help me out with the cross we're going to spend some time praying at the foot of the cross tonight repent and believe the gospel is the essence and the key to life transformation Jesus says it over and over again anyone who would enter the kingdom repent and believe repent and believe two sides of the same coin one two step to life transformation repent it's not just coming to God tonight and saying God I'm really sorry for the lustful thought I'm really sorry for my greed I'm really sorry God I've been angry I'm really sorry being sorry is the beginning of repentance but beginning of repentance let's put it at the center over there repentance right there at the center repentance goes way deep 
Repentance goes way deep. Repentance is not just saying sorry, but repentance is coming to God and saying, God, I recognize what my motivational center is. I recognize what it is that is on the other side of the if. And God, I want to repent of that. I want to uproot that, God, by the power of your spirit and motivated by your love and your grace and your amazing, amazing loving grace for me. God, help me to uproot that once and for all. It is nothing short, repentance is nothing short of coming before God tonight and saying, God, I failed to worship you as God. I failed to worship you as Lord. I failed to delight, to love you as my all in all, as my only source of meaning, significance, and hope. Believing the other side of life transformation, not just repentance, not just turning away from sin, but it's turning towards God and saying, God, I embrace the fact that you lived the life you should have lived, that I should have lived, and you died the death that I should have died. And believing in the gospel is being enraptured by the beauty and the wonder of that amazing truth. And it's glorying in it and saying, Jesus, 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 I embrace all that you have done for me. I embrace all that you've done for me on this cross. This enabling that truth to 